Welcome to episode three of Pest Chats, a podcast series in which PCT interviews members of Syngenta's technical services team, and they share their insights about a variety of pest control topics. I'm Brad Harbison, and my guest today is Nikki Gallagher, the technical services manager for Syngenta. Our topic for today's podcast is ticks. And as PCT's readers will attest, a lot of attention being paid to ticks right now, obviously because of the public health threat of ticks and also because of the emergence of some invasive ticks. So in the following podcast, uh, Nikki and I will discuss tick control, and Nikki will offer PNP some tips for their tick control program. Nikki, thanks for joining me. Hi, Brad. Very happy to be here. Great. We're looking forward to uh, talking to you on this topic, Nikki. And uh, Nikki, as I mentioned, um, ticks have really been in the news a lot lately. And what has prompted the resurgence of tick problems in North America in recent years? Brad, you're right. Um, there certainly has been an increase in tick-borne diseases. Um, you know, there's been an increase in the range and the number of tick-borne disease in the United States. You know, in fact, you know, the CDC is reporting that the number of Lyme disease cases in the U.S. has tripled since the 1990s. Um, so you know, we're looking at a growing threat that includes newly discovered diseases. You know, I, th I think the CDC is now reporting about seven new tick-borne diseases. Um, there's an increasing number of reported tick-borne uh, diseases. Uh, the geographic range of tick species is expanding. And then, of course, uh, like you mentioned just a minute ago, you know, we have a new tick species that's been found in the United States, and, and that's the Asian longhorn tick, uh, Haemophysalis uh, longicornis. Um, but I'd say you know, the exact reasons for the increase in the geographic spread of the ticks and the diseases that they carry is unclear. So there could be a number of factors contributing to this increase. So if we look at uh, the spread of Lyme disease um, as an example, so the spread of Lyme disease over the past several decades has been linked to changes in land use patterns. So that includes reforestation. So you know, we have um, you know, reforestation, which is, which is a great thing, um, but then we have suburban development into those areas. So people are moving in to these forested areas. So now we have an increase in spread of uh, tick-borne disease because we have people, the ticks, the deer, and the tick hosts, such as mice, all in very close contact together. So then on top of that, you know, we have a, an increase in the deer population and the mice population. Now, you know, that can vary from year to year, um, but generally there is you know, an, an increase in, in the deer population for sure. You know, if we look at some of the records of Connecticut, so um, Lyme disease was originally discovered in, in Lyme, Connecticut. That's where it gets its, its name from that town. Um, in the very early 1900s, the deer population was really low because their habitat was being removed, and um, you know, deer were, were you know, part of that was through deer hunting as well. Um, but as the land is protected and deer being protected, the deer numbers you know, shot up, and along with that, um, the tick population can increase, and you know the the deer tick, um, which uh, the, you know, the, the 
true common name is the black-legged tick, or the species name is Ixodes scapularis. Um, you know, has a close relationship uh, with deer. You know, specifically, you know, the adults really rely on on deer, and um, you know, it's very important for the reproductive success of that tick. Um, all of that ties in, in together, and and of course, you know, we can't um, leave out the possibility of climate change. Um, you know, that again, that climate change is just one of several important factors that could influence the distribution and the occurrence of several vector-borne uh, diseases. And Nikki, you kind of uh, you kind of mentioned this a little bit before, but you know, some of the regions of the country that are really affected. Can you talk a little bit about a little more about that? Um, what are really sort of the, the primary tick species that PMPs need to be aware of, and and what areas of the country, what regions of the country are most impacted by uh, tick issues? Good question, Brad. You know, it's, it's really important to know about the risks in your area. Um, so if you are not a fan of ticks, um, I hate to tell you that, you know, you can try and run and hide, but unfortunately every state does have ticks. However, the, um, the species of ticks and, and the different diseases are, are going to vary in, in different regions. So not all ticks spread the same diseases, even though ticks can be found in every state. So in the United States, we have approximately 80 species of ticks, but what's important is not all of those ticks are a public health threat. So there are about 12 species out of that 80 that are considered a public health concern, but again, not all of those 12 species are, are going to be found in the same place, and you, they're, they're going to be uh, in, in specific areas across the country. Um, but I would say for most of the eastern half of the United States, and I'm kind of saying the eastern half a little bit loosely here, the most common hard ticks that are encountered include the black-legged tick, the American dog tick, and then the lone star tick. Um, and again, the diseases that these ticks um, can carry and spread occur more frequently in certain other in certain areas compared to others. So again, that's why it ties back to knowing the importance of uh, risks in your particular area. So again, let's let's look at Lyme disease as an example. Um, but actually, I'm going to. Uh, in increase the reported cases of disease here beyond Lyme disease. So let's, let's look at Lyme disease, anaplasmosis, babesiosis, and then Powassan virus. So those particular tick-borne diseases are concentrated in the Northeast, the Mid-Atlantic, and the Upper Midwest, and then a couple of small pockets of lower, lower risk in the West Coast. So 95% of the Lyme cases are coming from only about 12 states, and, and most of those 12 states are in the Northeast, and then a couple in the upper uh, Midwest, like uh, Minnesota and Wisconsin. Now the tick, the primary tick for Lyme disease in those regions, in the Northeast, the Mid-Atlantic, and the upper Midwest, is the black-legged tick. Um, a lot of listeners might recognize it more as the deer tick. Um, that tick is expanding its range, and then along with that, the uh, cases of Lyme disease is also uh, expanding its range. 
So, Brad, we're both based in Ohio, correct? I correct. think you're, you're, yes. you're yeah. So, um, you know, in Ohio, reports of Lyme disease used to be a uncommon occurrence. So, if you uh, look at the data from the Ohio Department of Health, if you look back into the early 1990s, the reported cases from the Ohio Department of Health were typically one to two dozen cases from Ohio residents. If you look at the data from last year, 2018, of reported cases of Lyme disease, we had almost 300 cases uh, in 2018 from 50 counties. And uh, for our listeners, we have 88 counties in Ohio. So, you know, for some folks who are based out in the Northeast, 300 cases might not seem like a lot, but for us here in Ohio, that is a very large jump in the number of cases. Um, so if we shift to maybe a different part of the country, you know, there are other very serious tick-borne diseases. So um, Rocky Mountain spotted fever or ehrlichiosis, um, more than 60% of uh, those spotted fever cases occur primarily in five states. So now we're talking about Arkansas, Missouri, North Carolina, Oklahoma, and Tennessee. So again, it's important to know, you know what ticks and what particular diseases you're more at risk for based on your area. Yeah, it's, re it's really interesting, Nikki. Like you said, you and I being from Ohio, um, it's, it's an issue maybe that wasn't on our radar, but I know uh, a lot of times now um, we, you, know, you come back in from being outside, you look for not only mosquito bites, but you look for, for possibility of ticks too. So it it's really is a, a growing concern. Um, Nikki, you want to switch gears a little bit and talk about, you know, really kind of from the PMP perspective, what role can PMPs play in providing tick control programs for both residential and commercial accounts? Exactly, yeah. So um, just like you, you, you said, Brad, you know, it, it's not just about taking a hike in the forest anymore to, you know, to worry about an encounter with ticks. Um, you know, there are properties um, around many homes and businesses that can also provide a suitable habitat for ticks, you know, especially uh, those yards that are, you know, next to wooded areas, uh, brushy areas or, you know, have a lot of like, tall grass and, and leaf litter, you know, the habitat that, that ticks really prefer. Um, so for a PMP, you, you have to remember that tick prevention is multi-layered. Uh, tick prevention, just like uh, mosquito control and cockroach control, is going to be an integrated approach. So one part of that you know, is modification to the landscape, and personal protection is going to be very important. But the insecticide application is also going to be a key component um, to a tick program, if not the primary key component. So when that insecticide application is conducted by a pest management professional who truly understands you know, how to mix the product, how to apply it appropriately, how to read a label and who also understands tick biology, they're really providing the best recommended practices for tick control. That's going to ensure you know, the application was done safely and appropriately, all at the same time while reducing the presence of ticks. 
Um, and, and I think, you know, as, as an industry, you know, as, as you're out there visiting with customers, you know, there's a great opportunity there to provide education and awareness to homeowners and the general public. You know, uh, there's an opportunity to, to provide educational brochures about, you know, protecting themselves um, from, from tick bites or, you know, just having the ability to point them in the right direction on where to find um, information about ticks, you know, whether it's through, through local health departments or the CDC. And, and even, you know, making um, your clients aware that you can offer them tick control because they might not even think about asking that. And actually what I've found is that if you are already offering a mosquito control service to a customer, it's likely that you might already be providing a certain level of tick reduction on that property as well. You know, if, if there are ticks there that are present, you know, not every property is going to be susceptible to ticks. That's also important to note as well. Um, you know, we've conducted a number of research trials that we have shown that um, backpack mist blowers, which are used quite frequently for mosquito control, can actually be an excellent tool for tick control as well. You know, we've, we've gone out and conducted these trials uh, with Demand-CS, which is our micro-capped pyrethroid. And as long as you're going out um, you, with the proper equipment, you know, a good backpack mist blower using the appropriate settings, you can force those insecticide droplets into dense vegetation, leaf litter, tall grass, you know, really targeting, targeting that tick habitat and getting you know, a very high level of control. And Nikki, let's talk a little bit about the, uh, the biology and behavior. Um, what do PMPs need to understand about tick biology and behavior to successfully control these pests? Yeah, so anytime we know more about the biology of a pest, the better pre prepared we are to control them. So I would say with ticks, a couple of things that's handy to know is seasonality of the ticks. Primarily, you know, the majority of tick bites and also when um, the increase in tick-borne diseases occur is during the warm months of the year. So typically, you know, from spring through fall is where we see the highest tick activity. Just want to point out, though, that with the black-legged tick, Ixodes scapularis, that tick can actually be active every month of the year. Um, you know, so even in December, January, if the temperature is above freezing. So if you're going out on a hike and it's you know very cold, you could potentially. Uh, still come across this tick. So the adults are still active um, in the wintertime. Um, but primarily our treatments you know, are going to be going out um, spring through fall, um, and you want to focus your application to the tick habitat. So you know, there are some slight differences depending on the tick species, um, but generally you know, our ticks are going to be found in uh, densely wooded areas, and then that unmaintained transitional edge habitat as you go between uh, a, a wooded area and into the open area. So you can focus um, your treatment on um, that densely wooded area, um, the lawn perimeter, brushy areas, dense ground vegetation. 
So these are the areas our, our tick is going to be hanging, hanging out and waiting for a host. So you know, our tick doesn't fly like a mosquito. It doesn't jump like a flea. And that's what those insects use to, to find their hosts. Our tick hangs out on vegetation, and it's going to wait for a host to walk by. And you know, it could be a mouse, it could be a deer, it could be your dog, it could be you. So we want to try and prevent that interaction of the tick and the host um, coming together. So we're going to put that insect insecticide into those um, heavily, heavily vegetated areas where the tick's hanging out. Um, so when the tick does come across that area, it's going to encounter um, the insecticide like Demancias, and it's going to um, perish. Um, there can be other areas that you can target to, and, and these can be non-chemical. So we can also make the habitat less attractive to the tick's preferred hosts. So you know, we're talking about reduction of deer and rodents. You know, it could be putting up a, a fence, um, removing habitat that the rodents really like, you know, like stone walls, things like that. Um, and then again, the bigger picture of the whole IPM program, um, you know, if, if we can modify the environment so the tick doesn't like it, that's going to even increase our level of control. So ticks like it when it's uh, humid. They like shady areas. So if you can modify the landscape um, by you know, removing leaf litter, dense vegetation, creating a lot of airflow, um, putting down you know, mulch, uh, you know, whether that's organic or inorganic, that's going to keep the humidity level down. And in fact, um, a lot of people will recommend creating sort of a buffer zone. So if that property is on a heavily wooded area, create like a three-foot buffer zone between the lawn and the wooded area. And that buffer zone is going to be made up of just mulch. So you have this nice sort of dry buffer zone that's going to make it really difficult for a tick to cross. And it also creates a nice visual so you can tell, you know, your kids and other family members, hey, don't cross over that buffer zone because once you cross over that buffer zone, your chance for encountering a tick is going to be greatly increased. Those are some, uh, some great uh, best management practices you mentioned there, Nikki. And I want to talk a little bit about Syngenta. Uh, what is Syngenta doing to develop products for this market segment and support the industry's tick control efforts? And can you also talk a little bit about Syngenta's Secure, Secure Choice Tick Assurance Program? Yeah, absolutely, Brad. Um, you know, so Syngenta is committed to providing products with superior performance. But at Syngenta, we also want to share our expertise and knowledge to provide a you know comprehensive tick control program. So at Syngenta, we have our Secure Choice Tick Program, and this is a program that has been field tested, working with the top tick researchers across the country, and together, based on uh, that research, we have developed a treatment protocol that can help reduce your outdoor tick populations following a 90-day treatment cycle. So this is one application of Demand CS every 90 days is going to give you tick control and as well as you know, following all of the other integrated 
approaches that we recommend. Um, so it's a very comprehensive program, and um, and you know it's it's also part of a assurance program. You know, so this is a secure choice pick assurance program. So if you follow all of our recommendations and the application doesn't work, that you have to go back and do a retreatment, Syngenta will actually provide the appropriate quantity of demand CS to um, get uh, to, to cover that retreatment. Um, so if anybody is interested in learning more about ticks in general as well as the Secure Choice Tick program, um, I would recommend that they visit our Syngenta website. So they would go to syngentapmp.com forward slash tick. And Nikki, I want to uh, talk, talk briefly here about the, the consumer's role. Um, what can consumers do to assist PMPs in successfully managing ticks around homes and businesses? Yeah, you know, it's, it's always, uh, uh, you know, the, the results of any program is always going to be much, much greater when there's collaboration between the homeowner, business owner, and the pest management professional. Um, and I would say the, the biggest part that a consumer can do, especially on their property, is that landscape modification, where they're going to create the environment that's unattractive to the tick hosts as well as the ticks, ticks themselves so we can decrease that abundance of ticks that could be present in the yard. Um, you know, typically, we see fewer ticks on well-maintained lawns, except once you get close to that area that's adjacent to the wooded area or stone walls or heavy ground cover and ornamental vegetation. So again, if ideally, you know, they could help um, adopt a hardscape or a zeroscape uh, landscaping technique, you know, incorporating gravel pathways and mulches and creating that uh, three-foot or wider uh, buffer zone that I described um, before. Um, and I think it's also important here for the consumers to be aware that you know, they need to be protecting themselves, um, their their family, and their pets. And that's where personal protection comes in. Um, that you know, they if they're going out into uh, tick areas, that they should be wearing um, your appropriate clothes. Um, they can also wear repellents. You know, DEET is still the gold standard. Uh, for uh, mosquitoes and ticks, um, you just make sure you are wearing a repellent that is EPA approved, and then you can actually treat your clothes as well. And this is for you know our, our consumers, our homeowners, and our technicians that are out there every day as well. That you can actually buy a product that contains uh, permethrin. I think um, Permanone is one of the m more common brands. You you can go to you know, a hiking store, sports store, and, and purchase these products. And those are labeled for spraying clothes. You don't put it on your skin, but you put it on your clothes. And what's nice about that is it's not just repelling ticks, but if a tick tries to attach to you, it's actually going to die, and it won't have, an, a, have a chance to attach to your skin. Yeah, that's great information. And, again, not just for consumers, but, but for PMPs out there to, to be able to protect themselves while doing this work. 
Uh, well, Nikki, is there anything else that you'd like to add? Brad, I, I guess I would wrap this up in just saying, you know, the best way to prevent tick-borne disease is to prevent tick bites. And, you know, the, the best way to do that is, um, again, you're know, wearing those repellents or incorporating uh, permethrin for your clothes. Um, if you've been into an area where uh, there is tick activity, make sure you're checking for ticks as soon as possible. You know, keep in mind that ticks can attach on any part of the body, and we really mean any part of the body. So make sure you're doing a thorough tick check. And if you do find a tick, remove that tick as soon as possible and um, you know, um, remove that tick um, as carefully as possible. You know, a good pair of forceps and grab that tick on the head as cl close to you know, the attachment point and just pull firmly and gently. You don't have to go to a doctor and, and have you know, part of your skin removed and don't use nail varnish and don't use um, candle wax, all of those sort of crazy tales that you hear. That's, if you use those methods, that's just going to increase your risk of disease transmission. You just want to move it appropriately with a good pair of forceps as soon as possible. Um, what they found is you with with ticks, they're, they're actually slow feeders. So once a tick has been attached for 36 hours or more, your chance for disease transmission really starts to shoot up. So if you move remove that tick, you know, 36 hours, 24 hours or less, your chance of picking up a disease from that tick is greatly reduced. And you just don't forget to protect your pet as well because you know they are susceptible to ticks and the diseases that they can potentially transmit as well so again you know just that whole big picture about um, preventing you know ticks from attaching and reducing our chances of tick-borne disease and 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 you know when when we're out there you know just like mosquitoes again you know this is about reducing the presence of ticks we don't want to make any statements about our um protocol that we're reducing or preventing, sorry, uh, disease prevention, um, you know, because again, you know, we could go into a wooded area, go somewhere completely different and be bitten by a tick and pick up a disease there. Yeah, that's great information and certainly a kind of a great leave behind message uh, PMPs can give to their customer and uh, really kind of position themselves as public health experts. Absolutely. Well, Nikki, thanks again for joining us and sharing with us uh, some of your uh, perspectives on tick and some of your tips for, uh, for PMPs for kind of fine-tuning their tick control programs. And if uh, folks in the industry want to know more about Syngenta's programs, uh, where can they learn more? Yeah, you know, reach out to your regional sales manager or your regional technical manager or look us up on our website at syngentapmp.com. Um, if you're interested in learning more about ticks, just add a forward slash tick to that. So syngentapmp.com forward slash ticks. Great. All right. Well, uh, again, Nikki, thanks again for, for joining us. And uh, thanks all to our listeners for, for tuning in today. Have a great day.